Hey now, we are getting over and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times with the latest WWE edition of your favorite professional wrestling podcast. That's right, Getting Over is back once again and we are here to talk about all of the fallout from WWE Extreme Rules along with everything else that happened this week across SmackDown and Raw for the season premieres of both of those shows. We are four weeks away from WWE Crown Jewel Blood Money in the Sand and seven weeks away from WWE Survivor Series, the final premium live event of 2022, which means we have an absolute ton to discuss on today's show. We are not going to waste a lot of time getting to it, but I do need to remind you before we get into it all that this show, this podcast, Getting Over, is all about Defy. So please, folks, stop being marks for yourselves and go back to being a mark for me. Listen to Finn Balor, go back to being marks for the Silver King Adam Silverstein and vintage Chris Vanini. Head on over to Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Drop us those five-star ratings on Apple. Take a couple moments out of your life to say thank you and leave us a five-star written review. Let everyone know how much you love the show, why you listen, and tell them why they should subscribe as well. Every time we get a five-star written review, we read it live right here on the podcast. And wouldn't you know it, we got another one that came in last week from Blue Magic with two U's, the best five stars. I've listened to other wrestling podcasts, but over the past couple of years, I have gravitated to getting over. I listened to Adam on his previous podcast and migrated over when he started getting over. Adam and Chris each provide a blend of insight and reporting that I appreciate. In addition to their love for professional wrestling, they are both professional journalists, and that shows up on this podcast. I especially enjoy their preview shows. This has evolved into my primary wrestling podcast. Thank you very much, Blue Magic. That's a good name, by the way, a little good handle there, and a fantastic review of your favorite podcast, my favorite podcast, Chris's favorite podcast, and hopefully... Everyone listening, your favorite podcast as well, Getting Over. Thank you all so much for being part of this show. I would also be remiss if I began the program without reminding you to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. We are largely interactive on social media with our Twitter account, especially this past weekend. For anyone who was chatting with us uh, during Extreme Rules, we do live shows on Twitter spaces completely free that you guys get to participate in around premium live events and pay-per-views. We post polls, we take your DMs and your tweets, and we read them on the show, answering your questions. We have a number of those today. My point, there's every reason in the world to follow us on Twitter, at Getting Overcast. I forgot to mention the other two things. Every time a new episode drops, we drop it there first so you know it's live. And of course, we interact with you during the major shows, Raw, SmackDown, Dynamite, and NXT as well. So please follow us on Twitter, at Getting Overcast. That is enough of an intro. Chris, let me welcome you into today's episode. This is not a season premiere of the Getting Over Wrestling podcast, but it was a season premiere for SmackDown and Raw this week. For SmackDown in particular, Chris, it also served as the go-home show to Extreme Rules. And I got to say, I thought it was a tremendous two hours of wrestling that was maybe not perfect, but as close as you're going to get for a two-hour wrestling show. It was, I think, one of the best episodes of TV that we have gotten since the start of the Triple H era. I would agree. You, you 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 give us some bloodline stuff. You give us an intercontinental championship match. Uh, you give us some character developments, and and that's why again, two hours is the perfect amount of time for a wrestling show. <laughs> it's just everything flows better. There's enough urgency. Nothing drags. 
and it's it's not hard it's not as hard to make a good episode of SmackDown as it is for Raw, and I think we kind of see that with how things play out on SmackDown. Yeah, and I gotta say, as much as I loved SmackDown, Raw at least for the first two hours was basically the opposite. Like it it, it certainly wasn't a terrible show. I'm not saying that, but I found it very disjointed and repetitive in some ways. The third hour I thought saved the entire program. It was packed with fun, exciting stuff, a huge return that we'll talk about momentarily. I don't know what it was about those first two hours of Raw, but I just felt like I was almost down in the dumps. It was just like things aren't progressing. There weren't really new storylines being started. Even the Riddle stuff, Matt Riddle, you know, with the bloodline, we had already seen that. Why are they going back to it? It felt like it was just a crutch because they didn't want to do anything with Roman Reigns on Raw to set up something with, you know, a superstar on that brand because he has the uh, Logan Paul feud coming up. I, I just found those first two hours to be extremely rough. But again, hour three, I thought saved it. Raw was a real drag. And I don't know. We'll get into the commentary in a minute. But I, I the crowd seemed very quiet. And I don't know if it was just mic'd up poorly. I think it was mic'd up poorly. Yeah. Because comment, commentary sometimes felt like it was speaking over a highlight package sometimes. It was very odd. Roman comes out. There's almost no reaction very strange audio going on there. See, that, see, that's why I think that's why I think there was there's no way there was no reaction to it. Right. And right, once they got in the ring, they sounded fine and people popped and you heard cheers and boos for Sammy yeah. and all that. But you're right. When the show started during the entrance, I was like, where's the crowd? Like, I don't understand. And it was sold out. Twelve thousand people. Barclay Center, New York. Like, it's loud. It has to be, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Also, I, I will also add that seeing Roman on Raw just felt weird. I don't know. I guess I'm so used to seeing him on SmackDown. And he's so infrequently on Raw that it just kind of felt out of place. And one, one quick thing, going back to season premiere, for, for those who don't know why they call it this, it, it has to do with like the the, the 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 ratings and stuff, essentially. Right. Is that why they call it that? Is there a so reason they, do, they call yeah, it season it's, premiere? It's for television. So um they like to have like a start point and an end point to compare season over season and just ratings purposes, advertising purposes, all those reasons. So that is primarily why it's a season premiere. Yeah. The reason why WWE promotes it as a season premiere is because it's a free way to do a special show, right? Like yes. it is technically a season premiere and they want a big rating for that first show and they can say, hey, it's a season premiere. All this stuff is going to happen. Now, if you remember the last couple of years, um, they would do the season premiere and it would often be kind of like a mishmash show. You, you, there'd be crossover talent that you would say, oh, well, they're supposed to be on Raw. They're supposed to be on SmackDown, but they would still show up. And then like one or two weeks later, they would do the WWE draft, resetting the rosters in a very short period of time before Survivor Series, which we heavily criticized. This is like, how do you have brand loyalty, right? When you just joined your new brand, it doesn't really make a lot of sense. This year, it does not seem like the WWE draft is happening in October or November in fact, last I heard, they may not do it until after WrestleMania, which means you're going basically a year and a half with, I was going to say the exact same rosters, that's not true, with largely the same rosters that you had from last October, obviously with Triple H bringing a lot of people back, both Raw and SmackDown feel fresh because there's new talent on both shows, but those primary allegiances or responsibilities, whatever you want to call it, such as Seth Rollins on Raw, um, Drew McIntyre on SmackDown, you know, things like that. Those I do not think are going to be changing until after WrestleMania this year. That's interesting. I, I, I yeah. like that. So, yeah, just if you if you want to know why it's season premiere, 
and not like a, a winter is coming or fighter fest or something. I yeah. <laughs> guess that's the reason why it's always, it's always like the first week of October. Um, it's very standard across television. Any other shows that you guys watch, be it Abbott elementary, or I'm trying to think of like what, I don't really watch a lot of cable anymore, but like, um, Yellow, yeah, yellow uh, 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 the challenge the challenge for example uh these shows are all just now having their first episodes of their new seasons end of september beginning of october it's because they're this is when like the calendar changes for networks and for cable companies that's gotcha. pretty much what it is uh so but I, I was talking about the um positives and negatives overall of smackdown and raw but what was perhaps worst of all about raw chris is they didn't have bray wyatt appear they literally just replayed what happened at Extreme Rules. And as soon as they announced that, I knew he wasn't showing up. There was another White Rabbit QR code. It basically just led to like a puzzle that showed the date of SmackDown. And later in the show, we learned Bray Wyatt will return in person on SmackDown. There was also a cut into the broadcast transmission at one point with Wyatt in the mask. He was saying, I used to think that the prison inside my head was the only place that I could ever truly be free. Revel in what you are. And he repeated that second part. So... I thought it was good they gave us something with Wyatt, but like, why not both, right? Could he not have appeared live and done that on stage or something in, in the same kind of way that they did at Extreme Rules and then have him still make his first like full promo or match or whatever they're going to do on SmackDown? I, I'm surprised they didn't capitalize on Wyatt knowing you're going up against Monday Night Football. You have a loaded show. There's already a bunch of people returning. I just thought it was odd decision making that. And also, Chris, I think it's strange that they're putting him on SmackDown when granted he's not spooky, but you kind of have Karrion Cross doing like a gimmick that's in the same realm, I guess you could call it maybe, as what Bray Wyatt's doing. I mean, it's not the same, but there's a thinner roster. There's less TV time. I'm just really surprised at the decision to make him a SmackDown superstar and to not have him show up 48 hours after his return at Extreme Rules. Right. You could have done something. You could have given us some sort of promo teaser. Not, it doesn't have to be a major thing, but just some acknowledgement. Replaying the entire segment from Extreme Rules was like, I checked out. I went up and got and did something else because I realized Me what too. was going on. I don't, I don't and, seen it three times, to be honest with you. So yeah. I yeah. And, yeah. And, and so, you know, we said on the instant analysis that Bray Wyatt should be on Raw because Raw desperately needs it smackdown is loaded and i i guess i i, I don't want to i don't want to go too much into it just because we we still don't know what's going to happen we don't know if Bray is just going to immediately yeah. feud with somebody or if he's going to just generally hover above everybody for a period of time you know because they don't typically do the normal wrestling progression with him so we have no idea what's gonna happen we don't. I, I, but but i agree i'm very surprised that they just replayed it and then said, check out SmackDown. That was definitely disappointing. That was the number one thing people wanted to talk about coming out of Extreme Rules. And I really don't like when the follow-up show, immediate follow-up show to a pay-per-view doesn't start with that. Um, starting with Roman Reigns, Logan Paul coming out of Extreme Rules just felt weird as well. Yeah. Um, I Especially because... With- I would have opened with something about Bray and then kind of yeah. go from there because that's what people tune in and want to see right away. So especially because, look, SmackDown is Friday. Like, it's one thing if it was still on Tuesdays or you can say oh, it's only another 24 hours. Not a big deal. But you, now you have to wait all week just to see it. And I'm not saying that, like, the anticipation is going to wane 
or all of a sudden fewer people are going to be interested in Bray or SmackDown or whatever the case. But it's very clear they were doing it like, I don't know if it's to appease Fox, but to pop a rating on SmackDown. But you're still going to pop a rating on SmackDown if you have him just show up on Raw. Like, you know, say, hey, his his first address to the audience or, you know, you can he, whatever he says on Raw could be I'll explain my story on on SmackDown, whatever the yeah. case be. So I just I found that disappointing. Uh, Jonathan P at Johnny five alive seven with no H. He writes in which Bray Wyatt persona was more popular with the fans of the Fiend or the tribe leader. I think he means cult leader. I think Fiend is the reason there's so much anticipation of him returning. I hope we still get some aspects of it. I found this to be an interesting question because the cult leader existed when the fan base was seemingly larger, or at least the TV audience was larger. Yet, while that version of Bray was popular, definitely, The Fiend was another level. I mean, Fiend was the number one merchandise seller, which made it even stranger that they fired him in the first place. So I would say Fiend for sure. In terms of this character that we're getting, I think it's going to be an amalgamation of everything we've seen from Bray with new twists. The cult leader stuff, the Fiend stuff, with like whatever this new spin on it is. The whole prison inside my head thing that I just read a couple minutes ago, that was an indication that he's broken free from that Firefly Funhouse fiend mindset. And yet all those characters were the ones who welcomed Bray back to WWE. So I do find that to be interesting. And yes, for Friday, for SmackDown, I'm extremely intrigued at what we're going to get from Bray Wyatt. Yeah, I agree. It's probably a mix of both. I mean, he came out with the lantern. They're calling him Bray Wyatt. It's 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 seems like it's going to be more like the cult leader than everything else. And, and you're right. I personally loved the early era of Bray Wyatt, I think more than any of the others, but mm-hmm. I can't deny that the fiend craze was absolutely real. There are just Twitter accounts dedicated to that character and just so wild. much going on. It is, it, it really is wild. One other thing I wanted to note about Bray that we didn't mention in the instant analysis. Some people have pointed out, it appeared that Bray had a couple homages or, or, or kind of notes to uh, Brody Lee. On yes. his entrance, coming out yeah. of the door, uh, the, the glowing door, something Brody did. And also the witch or, or whatever that was one of his characters mm-hmm. under the, the veil yep. was wearing Brody Lee's Bludgeon Brothers mask. So, yes, I, I assume that was done on purpose. And if so, I think it was it was very cool. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, I caught the or I shouldn't say I caught someone else caught the uh, light behind the door, that blue glowing white light. Uh, and I did, I was able to retweet that, I think, uh, Saturday night shortly after the show. But yeah, the mask thing kind of is something that someone found shortly thereafter. And when you kind of zoom in a little bit and you pause and you look at the Bludgeon Brothers mask, it's very clearly his. So very cool touches, obviously best friend or extremely close friend. So to be able to include that's cool. And it it honestly now going forward with this character, we kind of have a reason to look for those types of things. Um as he speaks, as he does things, his gear, his mannerisms, his moveset, it will be curious to kind of see uh, what he does uh, to that respect. Uh, one other thing I wanted to know, just because you you just mentioned it with The Fiend, um, how fans loved it, popped for it, whatever. It was so popular that even when it was bad, like, like the Seth Rollins Hell in a Cell thing and, and Goldberg, even through that, it was still massively popular. That's how you know something's over when people can like, oh, I hate this, it's shit, it's terrible, and then still cheer for it the next week. That's how you know. Um, One other thing that disappointed me from both of the season premieres, I just wanted to note quick, is basically nothing changed from last week's episodes. Like the musical themes were the same. The sets remain just the big screen. The graphics packages were identical. I thought it was odd to like officially 
not just start new seasons, but kind of officially begin a new era under Triple H and change nothing visually or audibly. Like, especially the music. The music is a really easy change. And look, the ACDC stuff with SmackDown, it's tired. It's three, four years we've been using it now. And Raw, it's just not a good entrance theme, uh, like like a a theme for the show. I thought it would have been really easy to change both of those. I don't know why they did it. Is it a nitpick? Maybe. Just want to get your thoughts on it. Yeah, Raw's Raw's entrance video uh, sucks. The the music, (laughs) I don't care for it at all. So I like the one that preceded this, but this one is terrible. Yes, me too. Me too. Also, real quick, uh, pulled up the WWE YouTube page. There are two, the Bray Wyatt return was split into two videos. One of them, 1.7 million views. The other one, 2.5, sorry, 1.7 million views. The other one, 2.5 million views. So some of the most viewed stuff they ever, yeah. Yeah, very smart for them, by the way, to to split it in two. Uh, One other thing before we get to the main event of the show, of course, we still have the good, the bad, and the ugly coming up. A lot of stuff to talk about, but WWE announced late last week that it has changed its TV broadcasting teams. And- we already got a Raw and SmackDown plus a premium live event since they announced this. So we already have like a very thin short-term evaluation of these teams that we can discuss. So let's go ahead and go show by show really quick. On SmackDown, it is now Michael Cole in the play-by-play chair, as it has been. Wade Barrett stepping in for color commentary. Samantha Irvin remains the ring announcer. Kayla Braxton and Mega Morant, the backstage interviewers. This was basically a best case scenario for SmackDown. Cole is obviously the lead guy in the entire company, so he needs to be on the A-show. And I specifically mentioned, Chris, them bringing up Wade Barrett from NXT as the guy who should fill in for Pat McAfee uh, until he comes back from doing College Game Day with ESPN. Now, at first, it was Corey Graves, and I was disappointed. I was like, we already get three hours of Graves a week. We don't need five. Here we go. They do the season premiere, and it's Wade Barrett in that spot, just as I asked. So obviously, I'm very happy about that. It does seem like the plan will be Once McAfee returns, Wade will probably go back to NXT, but Wade was great on Friday. He worked exceedingly well with Cole, and I just think this was a perfect move temporarily until they bring Pat back. Agree. I thought it was a great, great connection between the two. Wade's obviously been doing this for a while in NXT. Uh, I liked it. I loved it. No complaints whatsoever. Obviously, McAfee's great, and we, we want him back, but I think Wade Barrett was great. Yeah. So over on Raw, uh, Kevin Patrick stepped into the role as play-by-play man. He had been doing backstage interviews, hosting kickoff shows. And I think he was also doing play-by-play for main event, although I never watched that show. Yes. And Corey Graves remained in the color role. Uh, Mike Rome stayed as the ring announcer with Kathy Kelly returning and Byron Saxton moving from the announce table to backstage. So no more, no more three-man teams across any of the shows. Uh, WWE moving on from Jimmy Smith. I found it to be interesting. I know Jimmy was more of what Vince McMahon liked. Strong voice, followed the rules, kind of milk toast to some degree. But I also felt he added some like legitimacy and like a real sports feel to the broadcast. But what he never seemed to have, and it's not really his fault, but he never really had enthusiasm. And Kevin Patrick definitely has enthusiasm. I must be frank though, in that, look, I'm kind of shocked they have a lead man who has this heavy of an Irish accent. But at the same time, couldn't find a spot for Nigel McGuinness, who is British and was arguably WWE's best color commentator besides Pat McAfee. Like Patrick on Monday, he was okay on Raw. Do I think he made the show better instead of Jimmy Smith? No, but also maybe I just need time to get used to it. 
So w- w- whenever they've made these changes in the past, when we've talked about them, we said you got to give it a, you have a couple months before fully evaluating it. So I'm not going to be too hard on it, but I I was I was not a fan of this first one. Part, I, I, I'm going to have to get used to it. I probably will get used to it over time, but it it just it felt like Kevin Patrick's was was talking over a highlight video. It didn't feel, yes. it almost didn't, it Great didn't feel it. like he was there in the moment. It was almost, it was too polished, essentially. Yes. He, he's, he's very good as a backstage interviewer and doing a lot of different roles in the company. Very, very good at that. But, uh, but that's what I liked about Jimmy Smith was that there was kind of a rawness to it, kind of reacting to things on the fly, live sports type of feel, which mm-hmm. is exactly what you said. Uh, I, I will miss Jimmy Smith. You know, he replaced, um, Adnan Verk. Uh, uh, Adnan Verk, who did not do a good job, who <laughs> also sounded like he was talking over a highlight video because he was on SportsCenter in, in, in various shows before that. So uh, sorry to see Jimmy Smith go. I, I thought he was great. He didn't stand out. You know, He didn't have major calls. He didn't have catch raises and stuff like that, really. But I thought he was very, very solid. So tough to see him go. Kevin Patrick, we'll see. I, I'm going to give it some time. Didn't love the debut, but I do like going back to two man boots. That's how I, it that's that's how it really should be. It's how it works best in every sport. You develop a much better camaraderie, uh, chemistry together and I'm I'm glad to see both shows will now have two people. Yeah, my bad. I thought you were done there. Uh so I agree definitely with the two man booth thing. To to follow up on what you said about Kevin Patrick, it sounded like he was a show host filling in as a play-by-play man. Yeah. Like who who did a respectable job and he didn't take away from the broadcast. I didn't necessarily enjoy raw less because he was on it instead of Jimmy Smith, but it didn't add to the broadcast. And when they're making a change like this, the idea is to improve what you're getting. So to that degree, I don't know that he did, but just like you said, and we said this about Jimmy Smith, we wanted to take, I think we said three months to evaluate Jimmy. We got to give Kevin the same amount of time. He seems like a really good person. It's, it also seems like everyone backstage loves him. So maybe it's a comfort thing. This is his first show. He was doing the season premiere. Brock yep. Lesnar came back. I mean, it was crazy, right? So we do have to give this time, this guy time to really like sink into the role, work with Corey also. It's about the rapport between your, your teammate. And we do have to give him time. But yeah, to start, you know, I wouldn't say it was like an improvement. And it really should be an improvement. Also, it's great that Kathy Kelly is back. She was superb backstage during her first run, Queen Kathy. So it's great seeing her again. I did learn that WWE actually reached out to Renee Paquette. She turned them down. There are rumors that she may be going to AEW. Uh, lastly, with Saxton, I've always enjoyed him. What, whatever he's done, commentary, interviewing, whatever the case. But I was really tired of him in Graves. It was the same yes. act. Shut up, Saxton. He finally, Bryant Byron, did kind of shoot back at him a little bit this past year, which was nice. But it was enough. I'm glad he's still with the company. I'm glad he's in a role where he's going to be on TV every week. But they did have to take him off the booth just because Corey was there. If they had moved him to another show, it would have been fine. But I I was done with them together. Uh, And yes, Graves, he does have to be chosen over him. He is the number. I mean, with Nigel there, he was the number three best color guy. Um, But without Nigel, he is the number two guy. He's very solid. He has improved as well with Vince McMahon leaving. He's going back into more of what he used to be. So I was okay with kind of some of those changes as well. Agree. I think he'll be very good in that interview type of role. So that's good. Uh, for premium live events, it's going to be Michael Cole and Corey Graves. 
this just makes sense. One guy from SmackDown, one guy from Raw, an original team that's comfortable together. They did a fine job at Extreme Rules. I thought Cole was exceptional on the show at Extreme mm-hmm. Rules. Uh, Graves was really good. Let's just be honest, right? McAfee superior. And I do think when he comes back, they should go three men for the pay-per-views because McAfee, Graves, and Cole, I do believe would work together. It would be a SmackDown and a Raw color guy with um, Cole kind of being the intermediary between them. I just don't see a reason for Pat not to be on major events once he's done with college football. Uh, I didn't catch who all the other roles were, like ring announcer, and I don't think they really did backstage interviews. So I don't have any more evaluation on the premium live event, but that is how I feel at least for what we're getting from a broadcasting perspective. I agree. All right. And then lastly, with NXT, Vic Joseph is staying in charge of play-by-play. Booker T is stepping into color commentary. Alicia Taylor is remaining the ring announcer with Mackenzie Mitchell staying on as the backstage interviewer. So Vic, he didn't work out when he got his chance on Raw. And I don't know why, for one reason or another, but he has settled in into being a great voice of NXT following Mauro Ronaldo. They were looking for someone to really fill that role. He is filling that role. He is becoming synonymous with NXT, which is what that brand has always needed from its play-by-play and color guys. He and Barrett were incredible together. And I do imagine, like I said earlier, we're going to get them back. When McAfee returns, I think Wade will switch back to NXT. Using Booker T in the interim, it's simultaneously uninspiring because like I said, Nigel would have been a far better choice in that role. But at the same time, he's a really big name and he does add legitimacy as Triple H is trying to kind of rebuild NXT. Mitchell is ready for a call-up, but she literally just married Vic Joseph last week, like in Italy. So it makes (laughs) sense for her to remain down there with her new husband. Happy for both of them. Congratulations. I don't think you have a take, right? You don't really watch it. No, I don't watch a ton of NXT, okay. so I don't, not much. And just to reiterate, as we just said, uh, we can evaluate new commentary teams after you know a couple months. You can't really do it after one night. So we'll wait a little bit. Then we'll provide more specific evaluations when there's enough, I guess, data, so to speak. Chris, we still have a ton of show left. The fallout from Extreme Rules, SmackDown, Raw. Let's get into all of it right now by sliding into the main event. Now, Triple H opened SmackDown saying there will come a time when you think everything is finished, but it's actually the beginning. Then he deftly turned the microphone to reveal another white rabbit QR code immediately after. And this is the topic of our real main event. uh, Roman Reigns and the bloodline entered. So let's discuss what happened with this faction and Reigns over the course of SmackDown and Raw. As soon as Reigns spoke, Logan Paul interrupted. Reigns said he respects Logan's passion in the ring. Uh, and he said that it's a safe environment for him if he wanted to enter. Fans loudly chanted, Logan sucks. Rain said the fans chanted the same to him years ago, not to worry about it. And yet now he's the greatest of all time. Logan could learn from him. Paul was about to drown on the mic and basically Rain saved him there. So I thought it was a true pro move from Roman. Paul Heyman called Logan this generation's version of Mr. T and Cindy Lauper, the top pop culture celebrity being used to promote WWE. Heyman then mentioned Let's call them a trio of pieces of shit. Uh, Jordan Peterson, Ben Shapiro, and Andrew Tate. Three names I never thought I would say on this podcast. Uh, Basically comparing like Logan to them, but saying that he's tough and they're all pussies. And I use that word because he used the word pussification. Um, But like, dude, this was weird. (laughs) Like him mentioning those guys was odd. It was off-putting. The crowd understandably groaned when he did it. And I know he was shitting on them, but 
just giving those guys airtime felt strange. It felt kind of forced, improper somehow. Like some may think Logan is a douchebag, but he's really overcome a lot of his immaturity and he doesn't really seem to be a legitimately bad person. Heyman is a legitimate Mount Rushmore guy on the microphone. I just have no idea what he was going for here. And it really threw off the entire segment. Yeah, I, my first thought was, I think we kind of have an idea of the type of media that Paul Heyman consumes these days. I just like such specific political references that really jumped out. And like you said, I think it basically well, are, you, are you trying to if you're trying to insinuate he's a conservative, he's not. He's a New York. Well, I bet Paul Heyman. I'm just saying it, it, he clearly is aware of these very types rare, of yes. people. He's very to, tuned to, into pop to, culture. To, and like, yeah, to like an that, extent, yeah. that stuff. Just like you said, it just. It kind of killed the segment and everybody was just like, what are we, what is going on here? My brother, I, I was a little bit behind on it. My brother texted me. He's like, what is Paul Heyman talking about? My brother doesn't know who the, my brother doesn't know who these people are. And I so barely just, know who those people it was, are. Like, it was very, yeah. it was very strange, odd. Um, yeah, just not a good, not a good segment. And I, I generally like, I've actually liked a lot of the Roman Logan stuff so far, but this was this was too far out there. This is too much Paul Heyman trying to like prove he knows certain things in pop culture, but it was very obscure and odd. Yeah. I mean, like if there was a silver lining, it's that Heyman got to talk shit about those three assholes in front of 2.5 million people on a Fox station. So like that was something, but as a wrestling promo, like, man, I, I, I don't, you guys have listened to me for enough years to know. I love Paul Heyman. Like if there's a Paul Heyman guy, it's me, but this was one of his worst promos that I can ever it, remember. It didn't it make sense. Like, and it was unnecessary. Yeah. yeah sorry. It felt like Heyman said this because he wanted it to be picked up by those people. I, I think that that's but why do you want that? Why do you want attention from those people? And why do you want to bring attention? Because to it people? gives you it because it gives you Internet attention. And that's the entire purpose he doesn't of the need Logan that. He's Paul Heyman. He doesn't need that from them. I don't. I, I agree, but I yeah, just, it's so weird. Anyway, let, let's talk about actual wrestling. Let's just keep going. So uh, Logan started getting major, very loud what chants, uh, and through them, he powered through. He started playing mind games, asking if the tribal chief was really Reigns or Jey Uso. That sent Jay into a frenzy. Kind of, he was acting like Butch, to be honest with you. Uh, fans chanted Uso. Reigns then stared Jay down, but Sami Zayn immediately came to Jay's rescue putting Reigns over and reminding him that Jay is his family and his ire should be on Logan, the pretender, not Jay. Sammy called Logan a number two, a piece of shit, basically, which actually broke Reigns and made him start laughing. <laughs> Zayn then wrapped up his promo with Reigns relaxing and Paul kind of slinking out of the ring. Why Roman would suddenly think Jay was trying to usurp his power because Logan said so was really confusing. However, yes. it gave credence to what we've been saying about Jay being really the only one in the bloodline that Reigns is truly gaslighted and mentally and physically abused. Jay's acting, the anger at Logan, and then immediately being so deferential to Reigns that he put his head down and was basically shaking like a dog. It was superb. And Sammy stepping up to get the back of a guy who hates him with Reigns letting him take that role and Jay benefiting from it by not getting his ass kicked in the moment. I thought that was tremendous. This went from kind of terrible to outstanding in a really short period of time. Yes. Sami Zayn and Jay Uso doing a pretty good job uh, saved that and turned it kind of in a different direction that was much needed. I had the same reaction. Like Jay Uso is not trying to usurp Roman's power here. This is weird. There's been no indication a, of that. 
it was a weird transition into getting some to create some other drama that that did work. And Sammy is great. And it, it goes back to what we talked about last week too, which was ever as soon as he got that honorary USO shirt, he's got all the confidence in the world. He got his he's balls. standing up for Jay yeah. Uso. He's he's trash beating up people backstage. He's like he completely changed ever since he got that honor. So it's a good further you know development of that character. So it was good stuff. So we had a scheduled match, Solo Sokoa against Ricochet. Sokoa pounced Rick at the bell. There was good work both ways, but as Ricochet jumped off the ropes for a 450 splash, Sokoa stood up and caught him with spinning Solo, and he got the win. Entertaining match. You know, was it the right winner? It was, because you're not going to have Solo lose, and Ricochet has won enough recently, where him losing one match to a guy who's much bigger than him, it's not really the end of the world. Sokoa's finisher is perfectly fine, but the name spinning Solo, it is horrendous. There's got to be some type of, like, Samoan word or phrase that would be better used as a finisher name. Also, I know he's Rikishi's son, but dude, doesn't he really remind you of Umaga, Eddie Fatu, like more than anyone else? And by the way, that's a huge compliment. Rest in peace, uh, Umaga. Yeah, it kind of does. Also, today, the day we're recording is Rikishi's birthday. Uh, so oh, happy birthday. Happy him. birthday, I mean, Rikishi. I hope, I hope Sammy Zane sends out a happy birthday tweet to to him or something like that. Today. I wouldn't be um, surprised. Yeah, that would be really funny. <laughs> it, uh, yeah, it was, it was good match, fun match. Fresh matchup. Um, not much more to say than just I yeah. enjoyed it. It worked. That's fine. I was just pausing to give you a chance to get in just in mm-hmm. case, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. In the locker room later, Zane loudly said Sokoa was gr- a great addition to the bloodline and was learning under his wing. Jay snapped, saying that Solo was his brother, not Sammy's. Sammy called Jay a hothead, and then Jay started screaming at him. Roman immediately got annoyed, but he agreed that Jay has always been a hothead. Zane tried to walk it back to protect Jay, but Rain said it's been a problem their whole lives. Then he made it Sammy's problem by putting him officially in charge of Jay. Sammy reluctantly accepted, and Jay looked totally depressed here. Now, this goes back to what we were just talking about, the continuation of excellent storytelling that keeps adding layers to this relationship. The idea of Sammy and Jay figuring out how to work together, to me, would be a really interesting dynamic. But it's tough to see that happening, given how the rest of the show went and how Raw went as well. Still, extending the storyline arc with this twist is exciting, and I did find it interesting here. It was. It, it was. And it's, it's, it's honestly, it's more of that gaslighting from Roman toward Jay. It, it really is kind of going back to a lot of that, so it was good. So staying with SmackDown, I told you there's a lot that happened with the bloodline across these shows. Staying with SmackDown, Zayn told the Usos backstage he didn't mean for this to happen. Jay just basically was pissed off. Jimmy told him, chill, don't worry about it. New Day then came up talking shit at Jay, saying he went from main event Jay Uso to having two daddies. Xavier Woods had an incredible line. You're not a stepdad. You're the dad who stepped up, talking to Sammy. Uh, Zane was pissed at that, so he challenged them to fight. The Usos were frustrated. I thought it was going to be a tag team match, but it ended up being a six-man. New Day made their entrance and waited for someone to come out. And like, okay, I knew it wasn't Biggie, but I got really excited in the moment that Maybe it's Biggie. Like so somehow, I. you know, they threw something over our eyes and his it, his injury wasn't as bad. Like it was a hope and it was like a prayer, but I knew it wasn't happening. And yeah, it didn't happen. It was Braun Strowman. So we got New Day and Strowman against the Usos and Zayn. Jay gave Sammy the side eye when they entered the ring and he got really angry when Sammy tagged them in. New Day hit a double tope to take out the Usos. Jay later forcefully tagged himself in for Sammy before allowing himself to get tagged in soon after that but he still dissed Zayn's attempt at trying to dap him up. After Jimmy tagged in, Jay and Sammy argued on the ring apron. Strowman got a hot tag and destroyed Jimmy with a chokeslam while they were arguing at ringside. Strowman then took him out with a running pounce. 
Sammy flew over the desk. Jay literally flew into Michael Cole, drilling him in the knees, which was not planned. Knocked Cole down. New Day then hit up, up, down, down on Jimmy for the win. The crowd went apeshit for this. They loved every single second of it. Cole sold it as New Day pinning the champions. This was mostly about the dynamic between Sammy and Jay once again. And they continued it well within the confines of a match. There was a really sweet moment where Jay grabbed Cole's hand to make sure he was okay after he took the bump that wasn't planned. I assumed that eventually, Chris, New Day would challenge the Usos for the titles again because the Usos are getting close to their record. So I would think like the week or two before they break the record, New Day would challenge for the titles. But this makes it feel like it's going to happen way sooner. And I guess that's not the end of the world. Plus, Montez Ford is still injured, so they're not going to go with Street Profits. Really, more than anything else, this was a good way to wrap up this storyline on SmackDown itself. Yes, this was a really hot main event. Braun Strowman not really doing anything. He's just showing up and beating up people, and people are really into that, so that works. And yeah, it feels like it's going to set up New Day Usos for Crown Jewel or later Possibly. or sooner. I don't I don't know. Um, but it's like we said a couple weeks ago when we said, hey, they're coming up on that record for longest single reign that the New Day has. It would make sense to set up a match between them before then. So here's where we're going with that. You know, oh, someone has pinned the tag team champions so they get a title shot has been overplayed a lot, but it hasn't happened much recently. And this was the six man and it works here. So like, you know, they had Braun Strowman on their side, who's an unstoppable monster right now. So like it it, it made sense. It it all worked for me. It wasn't a championship contender match style deal. It was, you know, it started a storyline or restarted a storyline between them. And yes, it's trite. We've seen enough of New Day and Usos were done with it. It's getting into like, John Cena Miz territory, which, you know, overstayed its welcome. We're kind of getting there here, um, but I, I we haven't seen it in I a disagree while. with that. Yeah, we haven't, se- haven't seen it in a while. We a haven't while. really seen it in this form, you not know, as, Big e. as, yeah, yeah, and as, as, and as the bloodline, not as much too. So. True. Yeah, that's all true. Uh, so let's move over to Raw. We're going to stay with the bloodline here. They were in the first live segment on Monday night. Fans chanted Sammy after the extended entrance. Rain said the loudest in the room is usually the weakest in the room, and that person is a fool. And then Roman basically said that, hey, that's Jay. So Roman starts going after Jay. Sammy interrupted. Heyman starts yelling at him, how dare you interrupt the tribal chief? Zayn reminded Roman that Jay is his problem, and he wanted the chance to be able to handle it. Rain smiled. He shrugged. He said, go for it. You know, take it, man. Uh, The crowd was white hot for Sammy. Zayn said he and Rain's connected and agreed that Jay's behavior hasn't been very oozy. Sammy pointed out that everyone loves Jimmy. The crowd cheered, and then they did the handshake. He put over Solo and said everyone in the bloodline just needs to be cool. Jay stared at Roman. He's like, is this a rib? Is this a joke? What's happening? He started getting really angry. Then Matt Riddle interrupted and kind of like ruined the whole thing. It was it was running hot. I, was, I wanted to know what was going to happen. But Riddle interrupts. He goes, people should be talking about him beating Seth Rollins. And while he's not supposed to challenge Roman for the title again, New York wants it. Reigns teased the crowd. Hey, maybe I should let him have another title match. Obviously, he denied it. Riddle said, let me just fight someone else from the bloodline. The fans chanted for Zayn. And then Jay egged him on twice with Sammy eventually booking the match. The way this played out was interesting. Jay did seem to cool off over the latter part of the segment, but it also kind of left like a big meatball hanging out there in terms of a storyline. It's curious to see Reigns and Jimmy fully have Sammy's back over Jay. And it sort of feels like Maybe they're doing a long-term swerve where like they eventually have to choose and we think they're going to pick Sammy because they've had his back the entire time. 
but they actually beat his ass and they end up choosing Jay. I don't know how this is going to play out, but this was one of the, I don't want to say strange, but it was one of the more, I guess, confounding versions of this that we've seen recently in terms of me not exactly knowing what they're going to do with it. Right. And it's not like they're setting up Jay to be the face because everybody's behind Sammy and they know that and they're only getting more behind Sammy. So right. Usually, I, it's, it, the, usually it's the odd man out who yeah. is the baby face. Yeah, it's got it. It's got to be set up. It, it, I think it'll be setting up in a way that leads to Sammy. Sammy's going to be the odd man out at the end of this. He's going to get kicked the out end, of the group. Yeah. That's the story. So, so like it, it has to happen. So we'll, we'll see. But like you said, it, they're giving us different directions and branches of the stuff and it, it, it works every week. It's a little bit different, a little bit new. And, I, and I'm into it. So later backstage on Raw, Reigns was leaving to party in New York with Heyman. Uh, Jay, which is funny, by the way, Reigns and Heyman just partying together in New York. Uh, Jay said he needed to talk to him. Uh, Roman said Jay needed to stay, reminding him that he's linked with Sammy and needed to make sure Zayn won his match. So he's putting Sammy Zayn winning a match over hanging out with his cousin. Uh, Reigns then told Jay that Solo was also going to roll with him. And Heyman just could only shrug. As Jay looked at him, they got into a blacked out Yukon. Jay was confused. Uh, Reigns was just cold as hell in this segment. So then we ended up getting Zayn against Riddle. Uh, this was the main event match. Fans chanted Sammy Uso at one point, which I thought was really funny. Uh, Jay tried to direct Sammy at one point, but Sammy reminded Jay that Roman wants him to handle it and that Jay wanted him to handle it. Zayn had a Mishinoku driver. Jay later tried to interfere in clear view of the referee, but Zayn stopped him. Sammy hit a sunset flip powerbomb off the ropes. Riddle countered a Huluva kick with a power slam. Zayn countered the draping DDT with a back body drop. Back outside, this time Jay was holding Jimmy back from helping as Sammy got his chest kicked in. That led to Riddle countering a blue thunderbomb inside and hitting an RKO for the clean win in 16 minutes. Jay wouldn't let Jimmy help Sammy up after the bell because he had it on his own, which is what Sammy said. So just like the SmackDown match, this was way more about the storyline than the wrestling. Roman literally told Jay to make sure Sammy wins, and ultimately, he kind of did the exact opposite, but for two reasons. First, because Sammy kept stopping him. And then when Sammy actually needed him, Jay listened to him and didn't help. And he also forced Jimmy not to help either. So the right decisions were made here. Riddle obviously needed to win coming out of winning the fight pit. It got plenty of time. It was the only match that was longer than 10 minutes on the entire show. We'll talk about that a little bit later. Jay also proved to Sammy that he couldn't really do it on its own. So I thought it worked exceptionally well to further the storyline. And yeah, I badly want to see SmackDown because I want to see what's going to happen next with the bloodline. Sami Zayn and Jey Uso. That that's it right there. That's what I was going to say. Is that is that now you you're waiting to see the fallout between them on SmackDown? Like that's how you tell a story week to week, show to show, and that's why it has become beneficial having the bloodline on both shows because it, it, it's easier to follow up. You don't have to remember. Oh, it was a whole week ago. What happened? You know, different things going on. This was just the dynamics of this are great. It's kind of the same thing we've said with every bit, but they just keep advancing it a little bit more and more. And it's just really good stuff. So, Chris, while that was really a lot to discuss from the bloodline, I find it interesting that, you know, because Reigns is doing the feud with Logan, there's really not a lot of meat on the bone there to chew. And the Usos don't really have, and we think it may be New Day, but they don't really have a tag team title challenger right now. So again, there's not really a lot of meat on that bone to chew. So really the only main storyline going on with the bloodline is Sami Zayn and Jey Uso, which means like we just spent a lot of time talking about the bloodline. But at the same time, not that much happened. Like we're very much in the same spot we were at the beginning of the week. 
yeah, and that's fine. Like, just give us an entertaining show, and and it just it does it doesn't feel like the same thing. It's a different way of kind of furthering feelings and connecting to characters. It's 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 not wrestling. It's it, it's how you develop characters and tell stories, you know, backstage and just you know, person to person. You know, it's, yeah. it's just it's different and it's good. I will say that the Sami Zayn and Jey Uso, like this element that has been brought into it. It's just taking this to the next level. I mean, we, we just discussed a couple of weeks ago about how epic this overall storyline is, Roman Reigns, Tribal Chief, Bloodline. But this is just like taking it in another direction. And it was a badly needed direction because we talked about how stale it was getting and it's livening it up. It's freshening it up. Roman Reigns is even being refreshed by it just by the way he interacts with Sammy and now him going back to his old form and kind of gaslighting Jay. It's all extremely interesting. And like you said, the keyword, entertaining. With that, Let's move on to the second segment, second main segment on this WWE show every single week. That is the good, the bad, and the ugly. I'm realizing now I may need to actually change this intro song uh, given some recent events, but uh, I will look into that and see if I can find anything that is a capable replacement. Let's get to the wrestling. Though. That's what we're really here to talk about. Let's start with the United States Championship match that was scheduled for Raw. Bobby Lashley defending against Seth Rollins. So Lashley opened hour three of Raw. He was talking shit about Rollins ahead of their match. When out of absolutely nowhere, Brock Lesnar's music hits. Lesnar comes out looking like a cowboy to a major pop. The crowd loudly chanted, holy shit. So Lesnar grabbed the mic and he said the exact same thing. Lesnar then went face to face with Lashley, who raised the title. Lesnar basically said, howdy, how are you? Whatever the case. And Lesnar answered the title raise with an immediate F5, a German suplex and a second F5. Fans chanted one more time, even though Lashley is the baby face. Instead, <laughs> Lesnar put in the Kimura lock, twisting it at the end. That finally got some booze from the crowd along with some scattered cheers from people who didn't realize what was trying to happen here. Chris, here we fucking go. We had to expect Lesnar back with Blood Money in the Sand coming up, but I did not expect they were going to immediately go right back to Brock Lesnar, Bobby Lashley. There's a lot of beef out here. Reinforce the ring post. The beef's going to be flying tonight, gentlemen. Oh, we got two big meaty men bumping me tonight. Big meaty man slapping meat. <laughs> Put your meat on my meat, man. Gently now. Please, gently, gently. I'm delicate. He don't want no water. He don't want no bread. All he wants is meat. All we want on this freaking podcast, Chris, is meat. And this is the ultimate hoss match. Yes, we've already seen it. I understand. We got it at the Royal Rumble. But for some reason... I don't know what it is. This feels like we're really going to get it with Lesnar clearly wanting revenge, given he lost the title to Lashley at the Royal Rumble. And then here, given how badly Lashley was beaten, it was safe to assume already in the moment it would not be a title match. And this is what I've been talking about for years. Brock Lesnar is the draw. You don't need Lesnar going after a world title, and you certainly do not need Lesnar versus Roman Reigns. There is plenty of huge and large guys on the roster, not to mention incredibly talented folks that Lesnar could fight as well. This is the appropriate use of Lesnar these days. A mercenary 
for big matches and major feuds. Chris, this is not just good. It's tremendous. Yeah, when, when Lesnar's music hit, my head was down and I heard <laughs> it and I was long. like, I was like, wait, what is that? Is that what am I, am I like, am I uh, associating a music with, with the wrong person here? And then it comes out. I was like, oh shit, it's Brock Lesnar. We're about to do Brock Lesnar, Bobby Lashley. And then I was like, oh yeah, crown jewels coming up. How could we have, how could I have not thought that Brock would return any day now, you know, to get into some sort of crown jewel? So that's good. I'm really looking forward to Brock versus Bobby. You know, we enjoyed what we got at the Rumble, but it also included Roman Reigns costing uh, Brock the match. You know, we we didn't get a real finish between the two of them. So now we might. And so that that's exciting to know it's just about these two. It's not about anybody else. That is going to be fun. I, I'm really looking forward to that. That was great. The, the Lashley U.S. title part, I guess we'll talk about that with the, with the yeah. South Rollins part. But yep. uh, yeah, Brock, Bobby, like all the all the beef out there. Ecstatic. Love it. Uh, now, it's clearly going to be difficult for WWE to get fans to boo Lesnar after he was just on the best babyface run of his entire career. That's the only part of this that felt a little odd. Like it would have been nice if one of the monsters in WWE was a heel. So Lesnar could return as a face, fight that person. Then they could eventually explain him turning heel and maybe going after Lashley. But I guess they can explain it away by Lesnar being angry about losing to Reigns and Lashley taking his title preceding that. It was just tough to see Lashley go from like super over baby face to people cheering for Brock beating his ass in snap of the fingers, basically. What I, this is a spot where you don't have to make either one of them a heel is the thing. And, and that's what I, I think we will get people behind Bobby. You know, I'm sure if we get him again, we'll have Bobby do some sort of feat of strength to Brock and people will cheer. Like, I don't think people are going to boo if Bobby Lashley does something to Brock. I think they're just going to cheer both of them, frankly. So that, 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 that's what I'm, I'm curious to watch. For sure. So you mentioned the title match. Let's get right to that. Lashley was being tended to by officials and trainers during the entire commercial break with him ringside selling a badly injured shoulder arm, the whole deal. Rollins came out with his ribs taped uh, from the fight pit match screaming for Lashley to get in the ring. Uh, he screamed, demanding the match from a fighting champion. But it wasn't until Rollins referenced Lashley being a soldier that he got his attention. Rollins was clearly gaslighting him, basically calling him an embarrassment to the United States title and the country, which completely worked as Lashley got in the ring and the bell rang. Lashley immediately went for a spear, but Rollins caught him countering it into a pedigree for a false finish. Rollins came back with a frog splash for another false finish. Lashley dodged a stomp and hit him with a spear, but he was unable to cover. The hurt lock failed as Rollins attacked the injured arm when he tried to lock it in. Rollins then hit two rolling elbows, a super kick, and the stomp. Then Rollins got the crowd to serenade him before hitting a second stomp to win the title in three minutes. Lashley had a fantastic run as US champion. He completely elevated the title, but it was always going to be really difficult to take the championship off of him. This was as well-booked as anything WWE could have possibly put together to remove the strap from him. From the Lesnar attack, giving him an excuse, to Rollins goading him into defending the title by insulting Lashley's service to the country, it was the perfect way to make him basically put his pride before the title and not just be a dumb babyface who fights even though he's hurt. Even the match was done well. Lashley got a hope spot. It required a pedigree, a frog splash, and two stomps for an already injured guy to lose. Plus, Rollins was also injured coming into it. I thought this was an easy good. 
Definitely a good. Uh, the, the hope spots you mentioned, the spots that make it go, oh, like maybe this is actually going to be harder than, than he thought, uh, or maybe Bobby could somehow win. Uh, they got me a couple times, so that that was good. The idea of Lashley losing the U.S. title, I'm mixed on it. I agree that he had elevated the title for a little bit, but for a few months now, he's been doing nothing. And, and, and mostly I was just like, I wish we had gotten more out of this title run to make it a truly memorable U.S. title run, more feuds, mm-hmm. big matches and whatnot. And we just didn't get it. They kind of he, he, he's very over right now. His entrance, people doing the fist pump and all that stuff. He's super over. They just didn't. There just wasn't a ton to chew on over the last couple of months. So it's disappointing to see it end like that. But I do think it going from Bobby Lashley to Seth Rollins keeps it elevated and Seth Rollins is going to keep it elevated and the title's not going to fall off. So that, so that is definitely a good spot. Basically it was just like, Oh man, I guess the Bobby Lashley U.S. title run was over. And I was kind of hoping to get a little bit more out of it. I think that's fair, especially seeing the way Gunther is like elevating the intercontinental championship. But again, with both of these guys, you need to remember like the, the feuds are really few and far between right now. And, and, and that's odd, right? Like it's odd that both of them have not been defending the title more frequently against more contenders, at least with Gunther over on SmackDown, the roster was pretty limited. It's just now starting to get built up with people he could defend against and beat, but he does seem to remain stuck in the Sheamus feud. With Lashley, there were plenty of people on Raw that he could have fought and defended against, and I'm glad that Mustafa Ali got a shot. They actually did a video uh, before Raw with Ali, you know, walking up to Lashley, Lashley agreeing that he earned his respect and saying he would give him another chance, but obviously now he can't because he dropped the title. So, you know, you really do look at the entire thing and you're kind of like, well, there were plenty of other people. He could have fought Cedric Alexander for the title. Uh, I'm not saying Kevin Owens because you wouldn't really want Owens to lose. But my point is there's a number of names on that show. The Miz could have gotten another title opportunity that Dexter Loomis even could have interfered with. So on. I could name all the people. It is disappointing. You're right that he didn't have more defenses and look even more dominant than he was. However, the fact that it's going from Lashley to Rollins kind of maintains that level of upper, you know, mid-card, lower main event status for the championship. And that's what you really want ultimately. So the fact that it's not going to someone less deserving, it's not the end of the world that Lashley didn't get a longer run with it. Plus, by the way, he could always win it back in short order from Rollins. Rollins could hold it for two or three months and Lashley could win it right back and take it into WrestleMania and have the run that we're talking about. Rollins gets elevated by getting a title, we should mention. It's his first singles title since 2019, his first United States Championship since 2015, second ever. Um, Lashley, we just said, he kind of reestablished the title. It's been elevated. Not just that, I should also mention. I have a bunch of notes here I'm trying to get through. Every member of the Shield is currently a singles champion with the top title on their respective brands. Roman Reigns for SmackDown, Dean Ambrose, John Moxley for AEW, and now Seth Rollins for Raw, given we basically never see Reigns on Raw, even though he is the WWE champion. That's cool as hell. And Rollins also is now the second two-time Grand Slam champion in WWE history following The Miz, who accomplished it earlier this year. So if there was anyone Hmm. that was going to take the title from Lashley and maintain that status, it would be Rollins. Therefore, I really have no issue whatsoever with him winning it or Lashley's reign ending the way it did. Yep, I think that's fair. 
Uh, Lashley backstage said he was pissed off at the entire thing. He said what Lesnar did was unforgivable and he will deal with Rollins soon, but Lesnar is the priority first. He challenged Lesnar to show up on Raw next week and called him a little bitch. I thought it was a really smart way to go back to Lashley before the end of Raw, given he got completely screwed out of this title. To just have him slink away and never hear from him, that wouldn't have been good. So that's great that he's calling out Lesnar. And with Lashley calling out Rollins as part of the promo as well, a rematch down the road keeps open the possibility that I just mentioned of Lashley winning the title back, or at least the storyline being closed, not leaving it out there that Rollins kind of screwed him over. And then Lashley didn't at least get another opportunity to win it back. So again, good three for three on this show. Yes. Going back to Lashley after he got punked out in the middle of the ring is so important. And for a long time, they didn't do that enough. And it's like, so so like Lesnar doesn't look bad for Lashley coming back. It's just you you protected Bobby a bit. And, and, And that's definitely a good way to handle it. Yeah, and, and not forgetting about Rollins. Say, hey, I'm dealing with Lesnar, but you're still on my hit list, and I'm coming back and getting my title. That's always really yes. important. Uh, Eric Goldfather at EG Movie Man and Sean McDermott at I'm Board Brother both wrote in. I'm going to read both of them, their uh, DMs back to back. Do you think Rollins will have the US title for long? I want your opinion because I think he should be challenging Roman at Survivor Series since it's the 10th anniversary of The Shield. And then Sean, forecasting war games, has the feel it will not feature Bloodline, but Judgment Day versus OC with potential Bloodline in a transitional Survivor Series match. What are your thoughts? Just realizing I'm asking this question before we talk about that. But to wrap these up really quick, um, they're actually interesting questions. I have no idea what Survivor Series is going to be. Like, it seemed really easy to set up the Bloodline to be in war games, but there isn't a growing team against them right now. And yeah, there's seven weeks until Survivor Series, but... I don't see them really developing that team while Roman is doing the Logan Paul build. I don't even know if Roman's going to be on SmackDown this coming Friday. So I I don't, maybe the bloodline's not going to be in war games. If not, it would make sense for Reigns to fight Seth Rollins one-on-one on on that show. The 10 year anniversary of the shield. I forget. Was it Roman versus Rollins last year at survivor series when they did the DQ finish? Or was that a different event? No, that was the Royal Rumble this year. It was? That was yeah, that was this year's Royal okay. Rumble. Okay, so they theoretically could run it back from that, but then that would only be seven weeks. Would Rollins still be U.S. champion? Would he drop the title in a really short reign? That wouldn't really work. The point is, to answer both these questions, I think there's way too many variables right now to be able to give an intelligent answer either way. Yeah, no, that that's, that's fair. Um, and I looked up, yes, it was. 2022 Royal Rumble when that happened. I, I didn't okay. even think about 10 year shield anniversary. Um, so that is possible. Like I, I agree. We just, we don't know. It's seven weeks out. Everything's building toward crown jewel right now. It's just, it's, yeah. a, it's really almost impossible now to think about. And Survivor raw series. and nothing happened on raw to indicate anything about survivor series. Like that, that was part of my problem with it. It was very much yeah. a continuation of what we already had without anything new starting other than maybe riddle getting back into it with Roman. You could say maybe Riddle would potentially be one member of that team. You know, starting that off, maybe Kevin Owens would be another. We haven't right. seen you him could in two see, weeks, you by could the way. See, you could see New Day, Riddle, Kevin Owens, and Braun Strowman or somebody like in and a, a fifth person. Against the, yeah. That, yeah, that could possibly happen. Maybe. But but we don't know. We we really have no idea. It's, it's, it, and there's no indication right now what's going to be what. Yeah, it's way too early. The, the one thing I think we know what's going to happen with the women, that seems pretty obvious. But with the men, right now, it's completely up in the air. Although, again, the Bloodline is a five-person team. So 
Makes it really easy for them to do that match. Uh, let's keep going with Raw. Uh, DX had its 25th anniversary celebration as it was promoted. Raw started with DX doing a cold open with the other guys wearing DX gear while Triple H was in a suit, wearing a headset in gorilla position. They did the whole gimmick with Triple H telling them not to curse and the guys saying curse words that were bleeped to try to confirm what he meant. They also did a cock gimmick uh, with rubber chickens. This felt like one of those SNL skits where like the old guys come back and the jokes are the same, but everyone's grown up, not just the actors, but also the viewers. And it's just not as funny as it used to be, but it was classic immature DX, basically throwing back to the old DX State of the Union deal. Definitely fun, but, you know, kind of played out a little bit. I really liked this opening. I thought it was really funny. Like, not, like not the most amazing thing in the world, but it was like, oh, cool to see all those guys. And they're do- you're right. It's, it, you're just kind of playing the hits and you're doing it a lot playing older. And it's, yeah. it's, it's a nostalgia type hit, but it, it worked. It was funny. I, I, I enjoyed it. So DX also main evented the show. X-Pac gave a shout out to China, which was really cool. Yes. Uh, they referenced it smelling like weed in the crowd without really saying that. Uh, Road Dog called them D-Geriatric X. And then he did the <laughs> New Age Outlaws intro, letting the crowd say badass Billy Gunn. Corey Graves commented the other guys doing something with office equipment these days. And HBK threw up the scissors. So HBK <laughs> is not a cop. He loves the acclaimed just like we do. Um, I thought it was really well done to make sure that Billy was represented somehow, especially letting the crowd do it. That was really cool. Uh, Triple H did his DX intro. Shawn Michaels got loud HBK chants and he made the fans promise, if we do this again in 25 years, please put us out of our misery. And that was it. Uh, They posed as a show and off the air. I don't know what I expected here, but like for them to literally come out and just do their catchphrases was a little disappointing. I thought there'd be some interactions with some comedic superstars, uh, you know, maybe something would happen. I did appreciate them appearing in four different segments during the show. We'll talk about the other two a little bit later. But for a 25th anniversary, I just wanted something more to sink my teeth into. It was good because how could DX actually be bad? But I just I just wanted more thought and effort to be put into the entire thing. It, it, it was good. It, it was fine. Like I, ending the show on that, you didn't want it to be too long. It was a perfectly fine way to end the show and go home. We'll talk about some stuff during the show, but frankly, I, I would have, I, I expected honestly more DX considering how much they hyped it up. And, Me too. and you don't even have to do too much. Just periodically come back from commercial and, and do an old DX clip and be like, see more of it on Peacock, you know? Right. Like, yes. I, I, I just, I thought that would be the theme of the show is, Hey, remember this DX moment, remember this DX moment, uh, bunch of backstage interactions with all sorts of types they of people. like when they do like when they do a legend show and there's a ton of them backstage like just exactly g- give them give give some rubs backstage and stuff like that do a lot of these different things uh, it was fine it was good i liked what they did i just felt like it was uh a missed opportunity to to do to help the current product by doing more of of them Right. They should have been putting over some, not not in terms of like losing matches or anything, but they, they should have been helping some of the younger or newer talent. Like it would have been cool if Road Dog was talking to a tag team, giving them advice. And yeah. then the tag team had a match and like did the New Age Outlaws finisher, right? And like then threw mm-hmm. up the X at the end or did the chop or, or whatever. You know, or X-Pac was talking to a smaller guy on the roster, maybe Mustafa Ali. Hey, here's how you get in and kind of make your, your way known in the company. Like things like that would have been way better than just like, them making fun of a couple jobbers backstage and kind of egging them on to go fight Omos, like which we'll talk about. But again, I just I just wanted a little bit more. Uh, WGOK and J wrote in, I would have cut the lights 
And when they came back on, had X-Pac, Michaels, and Dog laid out and Triple H standing in horror as Bray and the characters just were standing over them and then the show cuts off from there. It would be a call back to Triple H's interview saying how Bray needs to dial it back. Well, first of all, they would never take out Shawn Michaels that way. That would not happen. But maybe if Triple H and Shawn left the ring and Dog and X-Pac were staying to celebrate, they could have done something like that. But we also don't know if Bray is supposed to be a face or a heel. I agree that something could have been done somewhere, obviously. I said it already. I'm just not sure what it was. As I said earlier, the Fiend stuff is a combination of two surprises. One, that he wasn't on Raw, and two, that he is showing up on SmackDown as, as being his home. But I don't think him interacting with DX would have been the answer. I agree. That would have felt a little bit strange. All right. Plenty more left to talk about from Raw and SmackDown, so let's get into it. Johnny Gargano fought Austin Theory. This was the first match on Raw 30 minutes into the show. Theory countered one final beat into a brutal hooked release backdrop on the apron, like right away. Gargano came back with a spear inside through the ropes. Theory caught another one with a forearm and hit like 50% of an interesting flipping face buster move. I've just never seen it before. I don't even know what you would call it. Gargano escaped eight town down, but Theory moved him into the Gargano escape. Gargano briefly reversed it. Gargano then countered Theory's rolling dropkick with a superkick and hit a tope suicide DDT, adding one final beat for the win in nine minutes to a really great pop from the crowd. Superb finishing sequence to a strong match. The problem was it was notably short with like one third of the match coming picture in picture during commercial break. Given how long they've been feuding, this should have gotten significantly more time, but it was a really busy Raw. So I guess I understood in the circumstance, but this is like a nine-minute match, it should have been 13, 14 minutes and not had one-third of it during a commercial break. I'm still going with good because the wrestling was solid, but there just wasn't much to chew on about it. It was it was good. You you actually think tweeted during the show, and we'll probably bring it up a few times here, I that am. some yeah. of the matches maybe felt long, should have been longer. I, I don't know if I agree with that. I just would have liked to seen less of it across commercials which happened a lot on this episode it was fine i it, i was kind of surprised at the result um i expected some schmas or something to kind of do and it's just like oh i guess this is just this is it okay kind of i i expect i i wasn't ready for that to kind of be it so i was kind of caught off guard but it, it was, was anticlimactic. Good wrestling yeah it was it was yeah. anticlimactic considering kind of what they've been doing and maybe they're done maybe they're not i don't know i was just surprised by it but it was good uh, so Rey Mysterio fought Chad Gable. Rey hit a sliding sunset flip powerbomb outside. When Dominic and Rhea Ripley entered, Otis caught Rey flying outside, but Rey ran him into the ring post, hitting Gable with a 619 and a splash over the top rope for the win in eight minutes. Dom distracted after playing like he wanted a hug. Rey turned around, but Ripley was standing in his way. Dom screamed for Rey to hit him, but Rey put his hands behind his back and then got smacked by his son. Damian Priest and Finn Balor arrived. Rey got shots on both of them before Dom caught him with a huge lariat as he ran a 619 on Balor. Dom got major heat and you suck chance, again begging to be hit. Ray was ready to cry and turned his back to leave. So Dom ran him into the ropes and Ripley held Ray's arms as Dom hit a 619. This was kind of like the match we just discussed in that it was something I wanted to see, but it was relatively short with half of it during a commercial break. So the real grade here is for the post-match angle, which was superb. Triple H took Dom from a completely forgettable guy who seemed out of his depth to someone who is detestable and getting legitimate heat from the crowd. Extra credit goes to Ripley. She wore a memorial armband for Beth Phoenix. This may not have been great, but it was good in the feud department. Again, the match had the same problems as the first one. You want to see it. It's too short, and half of it was during commercial break. Agree on all that. Still a good 
uh, I, I'm I'm really into the Dominic Gray stuff. Like just the heat that Dominic has, arguably as big as anybody in the company right now. It's just it's yeah. enormous, and they're arguably as big as anyone in wrestling right now. Yeah, like they're just they're crazy into it. I uh, the, the YouTube video of uh, of um, Edge and uh, Edge and Dominic from Extreme Rules had 1.2 million views. Like it's just it's they're doing big numbers with the stuff. And Ray's doing a good job of expressing, I don't want to hit and fight my kid and taking the punishment for that. So it's a it's it's a pretty by the book story. But Rhea Ripley being involved, her kind of influence over him, all that she looks like a badass kind of control and all of this. Um, I, I liked I really like this. It was good. I like what they've done with Rhea. Kind of like you said, having that control over Dom, but also Finn Balor emerging as the de facto leader of Judgment Day, even though they don't put him front and center and say, this is our leader and we do everything for him, um, such as like Jericho in the Jericho Appreciation Society. He's not in that role, but he's clearly the guy in the group. And there was a short time where Rhea was it, but I like Balor in that role a little bit better with Rhea being like the queen pin, like the number one B. So Balor's 1A. And that's what it seems like they've done. I really just like that uh, set up what they've done. So let's stay with Judgment Day since we're talking about it. Uh, they remained in the ring after the commercial break, all putting themselves over. Balor said he ended the long celebration of Edge's return and he pissed on the fans' parade for Edge. Balor said he was too legit to quit and replayed the moment. I, I thought that was so weird. MC Hammer reference, but he does get corny sometimes. Uh, Ripley said what she did to Phoenix was just a glimpse into what she can do in totality. When Dom started backing her up, the crowd was all over him booing. I forgot if it was Priest or Balor, but as Dom was talking, one of them like put their hand on his back to be like, power through it. Like you got it. And it was so cool. Like in reality to see that in the moment, these older experienced guys like helping Dom through this live on raw. Not that the reaction was bad. It was a great reaction, but how is as a performer, a young performer who really hasn't cut a lot of promos. Do you go through that? Well, guess what? They had his back physically and kind of literally and he powered through the entire thing, which was great. He said Ray deserves to uh, feel as useless as he's made Dom feel his entire life. AJ Styles answered a Balor call out, which came shortly after that, saying he wasn't there to argue. Styles said Balor was right. Everything he needed was in front of him, that Styles has been alone for far too long, and he needs not just friends, but family. He said he's his brother's keeper. He got on one knee in front of Balor, basically pledging allegiance. They shook hands, and then they hugged, with Balor saying he was so proud of him. Styles then, while still in the hug, put the mic to his mouth, saying, I wasn't talking about you. When suddenly Gallows and Anderson made their entrance and charge to the ring, Balor sold this incredibly well, with bug eyes sticking out of his head while he was still in the hug with Styles. Fans chanted, holy shit. Of course, it was bleeped for no reason. And then they all brawled. Styles speared Balor over the announce table. And suddenly, out of nowhere, it was three-on-one with Balor running away. No doubt, this got a great reaction from the crowd. And from a storyline standpoint, it makes complete sense, of course. So this segment was good. I want to make that very clear. But, man, like, I was fond of Gallows and Anderson, the Good Brothers, for a time. But these are just two guys who did not need to get brought back. Like, if WWE did a short-term contract with them, then maybe I'd be all about it because then they could lose and AJ could move on. But I'm sure they got multi-year deals. I just don't see them having much mileage left as a team. The OC, as a trio, or really the whole deal. They're washed. So like, sure, I'm excited the feud developed 
and we're going to get Judgment Day against the OC. That all makes sense, but I am kind of flummoxed by the signing. And it also gives me cause for concern that Judgment Day has now fully gotten over his heels and it's working and they might just lose to three old dudes, two of whom just got brought back. A lot going on here. To, to start back at the beginning of Finn Balor talking, that was boring. It was boring for quite a while. I wrote boring talk, then video, then boring talk again. Not until I got to Dom did it get interesting. Um, and then so the AJ thing happens, and I am annoyingly got spoiled by this. It, one of the dirt sheet reports popped up on my Twitter timeline during the day, so I was like, yeah. I wasn't like, oh man, they're back or whatever like that, so I kind of got spoiled as well. But you're right. I didn't care much for Gallows and Anderson during their previous run. Corey Graves literally said the OC on their entrance. And I was like, God, don't, don't bring that back. That was terrible. Don't, don't remind me of how much I didn't like that. The last time we saw them was what the, the, the boneyard match, right? Yes. That's the last against time. the undertaker. That was the last time we saw him. And, you know, I, I think they work great in a larger group such as the elite. They were, they were, they were very, very funny on BTE week to week. Uh, Anderson has a sour boy gimmick. That's really hard to explain, but it's hilarious. And I just, I, I really like them on that show. And I like them as part of the elite when the elite were heels, basically kind of running AW. that kind of went away. They're off doing, I think impact, I think is where they were most recently. So like, I don't know, like I'm fine with it, but I agree. I don't want them to come out on top of this. I don't want Finn Balor and Dominic and uh, Adrian, uh, I'm sorry, Damian Priest to lose to them. I, I, I don't think that helps. So, yeah, I'm kind of fine. Like the segment was good. I enjoyed it and whatever. There's, hey, it's another tag team. More people on the roster. Fine with that. Maybe this sets up the Survivor Series four games. I don't know. But overall, I'm kind of mad on Gallows and Anderson returning. And that's in part because I think they actually fit better in other companies. Yeah, I mean, they fit best in New Japan by far. Not It's not even close. If this was a situation where it was like Styles versus Balor one-on-one at the Royal Rumble or WrestleMania or whatever, and Judgment Day came out to get Balor's back and you're like, oh my God, this, this sucks, are going to screw AJ. And then Gallows and Anderson showed up for one night and had his back. I would have popped huge for it. Like, oh, that's so smart. They got him on a one-day deal. Like, they did a spot, and they're going back to New Japan and whatever. That is how you use these guys. But to now, like, bring them back as seemingly full-time wrestlers and restart the OC, which it was not that Styles was bad in the OC, but, I mean, he hasn't it was done corny. anything it, since. It, it, it was corny. The OC, the OC was corny because they were trying, they were doing the club. They were trying to do the Bullet Club without doing the Bullet Club. Right. No, I think it it'll be better. Still- I do think it'll be better with Triple H in creative, you know, but but it's just I, I can't it's I just, can't figure out a way I'm going to like this. That, right. That's it, 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 it's it, it, it's it's and it's just not the same because it's not the Bullet Club. Like like the, 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 the whole point was it was trying to do the Bullet Club without doing the Bullet Club. You make references to it. You do two sweets. You do Finn and AJ, all these type of things. But we're not going to get the reformation of the bullet club in WWE. Like it's just, it's not going to happen. So it feels it's so like just the ceiling on this does not feel high. Yeah. Like the thing about the OC is if they were on their own and like, they weren't going against another faction, like, Oh, it's kind of cool. The bullet clubs are together, but judgment day standing directly across the ring as heels is a far more interesting and entertaining faction. And I love AJ styles. And I think the last like two years or however long it's been, 
AJ has been massively misused. I'm not saying like, I'm not saying like Styles should have been world champion the entire time, but he definitely should have been a mid card champion for a while. He should have contended for the world title. He should have had main event feuds. Like there's a lot they could have done with AJ Styles. And now to just kind of throw him back with like a mid card team that is old candidly. And there's a lot of other tag teams that they've built up the roster with where they're, you can't even say they're one of the top five tag teams in the company. They're, they're not. I don't even know if they're one of the top 10 Gallows and Anderson right now. They used to be, you know, talent-wise and youth-wise and mm-hmm. ability-wise, but they're not really there anymore. So to me, it's just a, it's a really big disappointment. Um, look, we have to see how it plays out, right? We need to see what the storylines are, who wins the matches, how they look in the ring. Um, are they corny? Are they serious? We're not going to know the, those answers right now. So I don't want to go too crazy on it. Like I said, the segment was good. This segment on its own was good. And if they somehow are able to keep it up, and Gallows and Anderson look like they can still go in the ring. I mean, Anderson can still go in the ring, but if Gallows looks like he can still go in the ring and all this um, works out better than we expect, then fantastic. Low expectations creates a really high chance of exceeding those expectations and delivering. But right now, to start, again, segment was good. And I think you agree with that, right? Segment was good. Yes. But, you know, future prospects, hazy, let's call them that. Uh, by the way, in a kind of crazy twist, I should note, Anderson is actually a current NJPW title holder. He is the never open weight champion for New Japan mm. right now. People have started with WWE before where they've had titles like in independent promotions. So they've had to drop them after the fact. But I got to say, given NJPW's relationship with AEW, it's particularly interesting that this happened this way. I believe he has a title defense in a month with Hikaleu or something like that. So surely he's going to drop it. But Man, that's just weird that like an NJPW current champion is signed seemingly full time with WWE. Thought that I was, was going to say, do we do we do we know if they're full time? Did they? We don't know that, reports? but I mean, I have to believe they are. I think it's a fair assumption. Yeah, it's it's, all, it's 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 yeah. We'll see. Since when does WWE I mean, we, not not sign people full time other than Brock? Right. Lesnar, I mean, we we you know? we did we did have the Impact Knockouts champion Mickey James in a Royal Rumble with the belt, but that was clearly a one time thing. Yeah, and that's not New Japan. That's, you know, New Japan is really the number three promotion. I mean, I don't want to say I don't want to put a number on their status internationally. But for for American wrestling fans, I would venture to guess that New Japan is the third most popular promotion in the United States. Yeah. I guess. Yeah. I, I mean, WWE did talk with New Japan a while back about doing stuff. So they did. That was I with don't know. Daniel Bryan, Brian Danielson trying to yeah. work something out with him. Uh, but they have their AEW relationship. So I just, again, I just thought it was interesting. All right, let's move on. We got plenty left to talk about. Bailey was asked backstage if her failure at Extreme Rules was a setback and Damage Control's plan for domination. Bailey was kind of despondent. She didn't answer. So Dakota Kai spoke up for her, saying Bailey saved her from rock bottom. And they had her back, unlike Asuka and Alexa Bliss for Bianca Belair. She pra- uh, promised that Bailey would win a rematch if one happened. Eosky also promised to kick Candice LeRae's ass. Though it was actually Bailey in the match, so I was a little confused by that. We got Bailey against Larray. Bailey took advantage of Candice injuring her knee and attempted to hit Roseplant on her, but Larray countered into like a seatbelt style pinning combination to get the win in six minutes. Damage Control attacked Candice on the ramp immediately. Belair tried to make the save, but got dominated herself. Bailey then hit an assisted elevated elbow drop onto Belair, but she missed the title that Belair was supposed to hit. So the match was exactly like the two men's matches we just spoke about. It was a few minutes too short, with nearly half of it occurring during commercial break. Frustrating. Candace beating Bailey was nice, but she's been given 
no chance to get over. So like her beating Bailey is important, but she's never had any promo time. They've never explained who she is, what she's about, why she's the poison pixie. So her beating Bailey doesn't really matter because the fans don't have any reason to cheer for her. Then you have Belair, who kind of looked like a chump getting beaten three on two after she already took out damage control one on three uh, 48 hours earlier. The backstage interview was fine. They did one on Raw Talk that was also really good with damage control. But I thought this was bland. Nothing developed. And we didn't even get to sink our teeth into the wrestling with two really good women's wrestlers. It wasn't awful by any means, but I actually am going bad here. Yeah, I think I'm going to say bad too, just because I was just kind of confused at the whole thing. Like you said, we haven't gotten anything from Candice LeRae to explain who she is other than when they, uh, when she debuted, they said she's Johnny Gargano's wife. And that's it. They, have, they haven't given us anything more, nothing, nothing about her NXT run, just nothing. And then so Bailey loses and you're like, what? Are, like, are they trying to send Bailey down a downward spiral type of storyline? But then they got over them at the end of the segment. So it's just like this. What is the what was the point of any of this is I don't think anybody looks good coming out of any of this. It's just very strange and unhelpful to, to anybody. So, I, yeah, I give it a bad, too. Yeah. And, and on that note, I don't really get what they're doing with this division on Raw right now. So Becky Lynch is still out. They wrote off Asuka and Alexa Bliss seemingly for no reason. I mean, they could theoretically come back next week, but they wrote them off injured. And then they're not using Carmella, Dana Brooke, Dewdrop, Nikki Ash, and Tamina, which is 33% of the Raw women's roster. Plus, there's been no follow-up on Nikki's apparent gimmick change that they have been teasing for weeks. I don't think it's asking too much for like Raw to use the rest of their roster when some of the top women are out. I'm not necessarily saying even they needed to do two matches on the show because it was a season premiere and they had a lot of other stuff to get in. I, it was not a show that was lacking for segments. Let me put it that way. But it just kind of felt like you could have shown Dewdrop and Nikki talking backstage with Nikki looking different and kind of teasing something like that happening in the future. Or, um, uh, you know, I was going to say something with Dana Brooke, but maybe there's not much that you can actually do with Dana Brooke. The point is, there's already women out injured. Uh, Carmella, I think, is one of them and Becky Lynch. They wrote off two others, which is the other top of the division, and they didn't use the rest. So what are, exactly are you doing here with the women? It's just confusing to me. I don't, I don't really get it. Uh, we can keep going here. A hit row got in the ring on SmackDown when suddenly three men in suits and masks attacked. B-Fab entered to help the guys, but Zelina Vega appeared on the top rope wearing long blonde hair that she's never had before. She took out B-Fab with a really rough hurricanrana. The largest man in the group hit the Phantom Driver on Ashanti the Adonis before the others did their high-low finisher and double springboard splash on top dollar. Zelina grabbed the mic to announce her return before the obvious happened with Legato del Fantasma removing their masks and Santos Escobar telling everyone, be safe. Man, I was hyped for this. This is exactly what it needed to be. For those who don't know, Legato and Hit Row had a long feud in NXT, so it was really appropriate for them to attack Hit Row for their main roster debut. Escobar has an insanely high ceiling. He could be and should be that Latin star that WWE has been looking for on the main roster for quite some time. And of those of you who listen to our NXT show know, I have been waiting for Escobar and Legato to get called up for more than a year. The crowd pop was strong too, which was relieving that people knew who they were. It's unfortunate, in my opinion, that they got called up as heels 
because really they left NXT as massively over baby faces. So the reaction probably could have been even way bigger if they did something that was baby face, but I get it. I'm extremely excited they're on SmackDown. And not for nothing, Zelina is a massive upgrade over Electra Lopez, who like B-Fab is far too green to be valuable on the main roster. I'd love to see Electra develop more in NXT. She has a ton of potential. I really liked Electra's role with Legato. She was kind of like I said uh, just a moment ago about Judgment Day. She was kind of like the queen to Escobar's king, like the 1B to his 1A. And I don't know what Zelina is going to be. She is a better fit. And she's known by the audience, which legitimizes Legato immediately. I hope she is that equal to Escobar like Lopez was and isn't just a manager of the group. But Chris, I could not be more enthusiastic about this. That was a good one, yeah. I am yeah, a I, I, game, JR. Sorry, I had to do both. Eats, sleeps, <laughs> breathes this business more than me. I'm too big of a Legato and Escobar fan to just do one sound drop. So go ahead. Yeah, look, I, I'm a big fan of them. I've been saying for more than a year that I think Santos Escobar is a future world champion. Like he's just, he's got everything. He has I, it. I, yeah. I, I'm surprised it took so long for them to call him up. The initial beatdown of Hit Row got no reaction because we said before, nobody really has any reaction to Hit Row at all because mm-hmm. we just haven't gotten to know them at all. So it, while, the, while the NXT relationship makes sense to be the debut, there wasn't much juice on that in the moment now when they did take off the masks and everything then everybody realized who they were and crowd big pop for that which is good it was good for them to know what they are i hope this is not zelina vega is their mouthpiece zelina vega is their manager um because again i think santos escobar is the guy who can kind of can, can run the group so I'm, I'm curious to see how those dynamics play out because this is the first time we, we we saw them but it's good to see zelina back great to see uh, like out of Del Fantasma. I agree that I think they can be faces at some point, but if you're if you're going to debut, you know, doing it as a heel like that is, is kind of a good way, but I, we'll see how long it lasts because again, Hit Row are not exactly major faces. It is tough to debut a faction, not as a heel, right. all together at once. Like it's, it's one thing to debut a single superstar, like Escobar theoretically could have debuted as a baby face and then they do a bunch of stuff and then at the end, they all come in and then they're a heel because the heels attack like the, the, the rest of the faction. But it is generally difficult to bring in four people at once and have them immediately be baby faces. So to your point, I do understand why they did it. But people need to know, for those who don't, Santos Escobar is not Andrade El Idolo. He does not need Zelina Vega to speak for him. He speaks fluent English. I, I did an interview with him on this podcast that is one of my favorite interviews I've ever done on this show. You can go find it in the archives, just search his name or, or scroll. I can, if you really care, I'll give you the episode number. You guys can go find it. Um, but he he is fantastic. He speaks incredibly well and he delivers promos really well, just in terms of like the content of the promos. So he does not need Zelina for that. But at the same time, I love the connection and Zelina looked awesome and kind of rejuvenated moving away from the queen gimmick and now going into this. So let me be very clear. Santos Escobar has... It. And Legato del Fantasma has it. And now SmackDown has it because it has all of them. So very, very excited about them being part of the show. Uh, Maximum male models on SmackDown were laid out with the chair backstage as Maxine Dupree yelled. Max Dupree yelled back that he gave them gold and they turned it into trash. He said he's not going to be something he's not and that he's not Max Dupree, but L.A. Knight. Yeah, 
Wade Barrett was hysterical. He had the line of the entire show. He go after that all happened. He goes, "I knew that was Ellie Knight all along." Very <laughs> yes. smart way to play to like the hardcore fans and people who watch NXT by not treating yes. them like idiots. Knight's going to face Mansoir this Friday. This is exactly what it needed to be because Chris, there's really no way to explain how he would have randomly begun a male modeling agency and like legally changed his name. I can't imagine what else they could have done to make it quote unquote better. Short, this was short, sweet to the point. Plus, MMM is still together. LA Knight is back. It's good. Definite good. Excited to see it. Again, we don't love the name, but he, he's made it work. I hope every time we see him on screen, he needs to be talking or holding a microphone. Like, he's going to have this match against Mansoir. He needs to cut a promo before Absolutely. or afterward. Like, this can't just be guy shows up. His mic skills are the point. Like, that's the draw for him. So I hope... Uh, he gets, it could be short, whatever, but you got to give him some mic time at some point, not just a match because wrestling is not going to get him over. That's not what it is with him. It's, it's the mic work. It's 100% the mic work here and the personality, a thousand percent. Yes. Uh, Shotzi and Raquel Rodriguez fought Sonya Deville and Zaya Lee on SmackDown. Raquel came out riding the back of the TCB tank. Rodriguez got the hot tag, hit her standard moveset, follow away slam, corkscrew elbow, and a Hanabom on Deville. She also combined with Shotzi for this like flip over inverted DDT. It was really, really cool. The faces got the win in three minutes. There was a really funny spot after the bell where Shotzi ran at Raquel to do a chest bump and Raquel just like jumped straight up in the air and Shotzi fell backwards because Raquel's so big. So I just thought that was hysterical. Uh, we saw Raquel and Shotzi before together, but there's really been no explanation as to why they or Sonya and Zaya are teams. This barely got any time. The heels looked like jobbers. The positive was it was a women's tag team match not involving the champions. That's a good thing. But it was the only women's wrestling on SmackDown. Three minutes. Not offensive enough to be ugly, but it was definitely bad. I also hate seeing Sonya like fade into obscurity now after doing yeah. such a good job in that authority role. Yeah, it's a bad for me, not because of the effort of the people involved. They did what they could, just because of the lack of opportunity they were given. Yeah, no time. And and also no explanation, like I said, for the tag team. Yes. By the way, we got about 15 minutes of seeing the women across five hours of TV this week. I'm not counting the video package for Liv Morgan and Ronda Rousey, and I'm not counting Rhea Ripley being on screen with a men's faction that's primarily a men's faction. Uh, but 15 minutes in terms of women's wrestling and women's only segments is completely unacceptable. Like, if I'm going to sit and criticize AEW for its bullshit, I'm calling this out as well. Surprisingly... The women's division is struggling to find its footing under Triple H. We've been talking about this. He really needs to get his shit together soon. We're entering an important period with Crown Jewel coming up. It's a stadium show. Regardless of what we think about Blood and Money in the Sand, it's an important show. Both titles should be defended, and both of them should have legitimate challengers. And the women's tag team titles, they need a division. Again, it's good that two tag teams were created or used here. But again, there's no explanation for their existence. We're not learning anything about them. We're not being given any reason to root for them. It all has to get better. Hopefully with the season premieres over, that begins this week. But it just hasn't been good, Chris. Agree. It's, it, we, we've said it several times ever since kind of the Triple H era, just the on-screen women's wrestling just has not been there. And it's been very surprising and it hasn't gotten any better. It's in, a in total the shock. E the, the effort being put into it. It's a total shock given everything he did in NXT. I, the only thing I could think of is maybe the men's division needed so much work that he's just putting so much time into like revitalizing it and kicking storylines into gear and making things 
work that he's like the women, you know, they're popular enough where they can hold on for a short period of time. But even that doesn't make sense. Like, I'm trying to give him an out, but I can't even come up with one. So no, it's not. Uh, Miz approached Maurice, commenting how incredible she looked backstage. And certainly that was accurate. Uh, Miz suggested maybe the birthday party wasn't a good idea, but Maurice told him to calm down and gave him a bat as a gift in the ring for the party. It was revealed to be a Cleveland Guardians bat from one of their players. I forgot who it was. The Yankees are playing Cleveland in the MLB playoffs. So that was the joke. Miz trashed Aaron Judge and Kevin Durant. Uh, you can trash Kevin Durant all you want. You stay away from Aaron Judge. That's my guy. Okay. Uh, he got two exercise balls with his face on them to match his bat. Get it? Big balls. Uh, Miz then picked up another box that ended up having Dexter Loomis's head underneath it. He put the back's box back on and tried hitting it with his bat like a whack-a-mole. Then he flipped the table over and Loomis wasn't there. Suddenly, Loomis appeared behind him and he locked in silence. Maurice took a facial into the cake. Miz ran away, leaving Maurice by herself in the ring with Loomis. Maurice then ran away as Loomis picked up a knife and popped both of the balls. The crowd was silent for all of it until it finally chanted, eat the cake. So Loomis cut a piece of cake and obliged the fans to end the segment. Miz later complained to DX. HBK said that Loomis is a good guy who doesn't attack just anyone. So Miz must have done something to wrong him. Miz said he would do anything to get rid of him. So Road Dogg suggested a contract match with Loomis's potential employment on the line. I thought this was horrendous. I just got to say, the build has gone on way too long. It's repetitive. HBK is saying you must have done something to anger Loomis. Okay, what? We, we're, we're still waiting. It's been months. What did he do? Why are they having the match? Now they're doing the match and you're like, well, is the match the blow off to the entire thing? Nothing about this was even funny. It felt like a Vince McMahon segment from three or four years ago. There was nothing redeeming about it. I found it to be an absolute total waste of television time. The DX spot backstage, at least it explained it and it moved the storyline forward. But this was straight up ugly. Zero point zero. Zero point zero, Mr. Blutarski. Yeah, it's an ugly for me too. I, I, I've said I've enjoyed this a little bit more as a comedy spot, but in small doses. This was a long, drawn-out segment for no reason whatsoever. It was a waste of time. It was an ugly. It's I'm 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 out on this now. That is one big pile of shit. So Omas fought two jobbers before the match. DX pumped up the jobbers, reminding them it was two on one. One guy got on. Omas's back, but Omas otherwise dominated them with a double choke slam for the win in one minute. Omas then did his finisher to both guys individually. The saving grace of this there was MVP wearing a Knicks hat, which I appreciated as a Knicks fan. <laughs> but to be fair, this may have been actually, Chris, like I'm just being like candid. It may have been one of the best of these squashes that we've seen, maybe the best of all of these that they've seen. The guys bumped really well. Omas actually looked kind of agile and more fit than he has been. I'm not sure why I felt differently about it, but Despite that, it's still ugly. I'm sure they're building to a Braun Strowman match at Crown Jewel, but holy shit, they got to do something else with this guy. Use low-card superstars. Anything besides the same thing every single week. It's the same thing over and over and over. It's like missionary position every single night. Yeah, another ugly for me. I actually texted you ugly after this one happened last night. Uh, 
I've said it before. Squash matches don't do anything. They just, they're not interesting. They're not fun. Honestly, I think you'd be, if you're building to Omos versus Braun, I think you'd be better off not having Omos on your screen, just showing him less. So when he does show up, it feels like a big deal. Or the uh, jobbers you bring in, have them be huge dudes. Yeah. Have, yeah. Have let him beat up some big just, guys. Let him beat up some big guys or something. This is just a waste of time. Ugly. I don't, I don't have anymore. There's nothing really more to say about this. On SmackDown, the Viking Raiders were in the shadows by a fire, saying only a fool confuses absence with weakness and that they've been watching and growing stronger. Then a female voice spoke, which sounded like Sarah Logan. So it does seem like they're going to be coming back as a trio instead of a tag team. I like the cinematography here, and it's great. They appear headed back sooner than later, given the injury. We heard about the foot injury. I think it was to Eric. Sarah, by the way, is really good friends with a lot of women in the back. So I'm sure that's going to make the locker room happy. So it was good. It was just a quick vignette, but it was good. I guess I didn't have any thoughts, good or bad, about it until we get more. I just don't really have any grade for it. And similar to that, there was it wasn't really a vignette or a video package. There was still an announcement on Raw in the final hour that Elias is going to be returning next week. I guess it only took 10 weeks for him to grow the beard back out. Yeah, this just felt unnecessarily short and uneventful, given his popularity. They should have done a surprise next week. Or if you want to use DX have Elias appear in the main event singing a song and DX interrupting him and the guys take him out given it's Elias and that's happened before. Uh, There's no grade here, but it just seems like a really weak way to bring someone back who's very popular as Elias just saying, oh, he'll be back next week. I'm mostly just upset we never got more of the whole Elias family. You know, they did that like one or two weeks. It was fun and uh, never went back to it. You could have brought one of them back to to announce that Elias is coming back. Elrod or something, yeah. Yeah, he uh, but but it got cheered like he's going to get cheered when he comes back. People I, I didn't I wasn't a fan of going away from the gimmick. So it's I'm curious how it'll be when he gets back. Looking forward to seeing him. I think I wouldn't have even announced it. I would have just That's what I'm saying while something's going on. No, I mean, like next week while something's going on, someone's talking and then you hear the guitar. Strum. That's what I'm saying. That's that's what they should have yeah. done. Yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah. So so all right. you hear the strum. He walks out from the ramp. He starts talking trash and you got a feud. Yeah, yeah. What, what I would, this is what I would like, okay? I know they moved away from Kevin Owens. They're making him more serious. I would like a backstage interaction between them next week. Not a few, they not will. a whole thing. Yes. But where like Owens walks by him and looks and goes, hey, Elias. And he's like, hey. <laughs> and just like something like that, right? They, they um, will do it. They will definitely, I, I believe they will do that. That has to happen. It doesn't even have to be next week. It just has to be like sometime in the next month with him still fresh. Next time we see Kevin Owens, it needs to happen. But yeah, it just, again, it felt like, why would you waste a surprise? There, mm-hmm. you, no, no one's tuning in next week to watch Elias, but people who nope. do tune in next week would have been surprised by Elias. And, and they just got to think through some of those things better. Chris, we had a lot to talk about on today's show. We got through it. I think we did a fantastic job keeping the show well under two hours. I should note to everyone, uh, we've noticed that our WWE shows are going on a little bit longer than we would like. So we are trying to cut them down a little bit. Hopefully today is an example of what we can do going forward in the future. It was great once again, of course, to talk WWE with you, Chris. We will be back, same bat time, same bat channel with our next WWE show one week from now, next Tuesday, between now and then on Thursday, we will have our next AEW and NXT show. Plenty to talk about there. Uh, What else do I need to do? I need to remind you to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. Episode drops. You can participate in polls. All those DMs that we read uh, on the show today, they came from Twitter. So follow us at Getting Overcast. You can DM us. They are open. You can tweet us. We will get your comments on the show. And also, please remember, the 
the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. So head on over to Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Drop us a five-star rating on Apple. Take a few moments. Leave a written review as well. We always appreciate when you guys take the time to do it. And it does help us grow as a podcast to get five-star ratings and reviews. Thank you once again for joining us here on the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. For Vintage Chris Manini, this is the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, signing off and leaving you with just three final words. Bye for now.